my path from Tijuana to Los Angeles, it was more like how I navigated as a person of color under the shadows in a country that has a different culture, a different language, and different resources that I didn't have before. And these are things that I have now in my everyday life that not just me, I think a lot of people take for granted. You are listening to Change Lab, conversations on transformation and creativity. I'm Lauren Buckman, president of Art Center College of Design. Our next season begins September 25th. We are very excited to share new conversations with you. In the meantime, we decided to handpick three past episodes with artists and designers whose work has taken a timely or transformative turn. For these encore episodes, we caught up with our guests and incorporated new interview tape into the original. In this episode, we turn our attention back to Jackie Mesquita, a graduate of Art Center in Fine Art and currently an MFA candidate in the New Genres program at UCLA. I first spoke with Jackie for this podcast about a year ago and was struck by her courage, strength, and poise. At the time, she had just walked from the Tijuana border to downtown Los Angeles, 178 miles. It was part of her final project before graduating from Art Center. Little did I know she'd embark on her next ambitious project within a year's time. Late last month, Jackie left the Tijuana border and headed in the opposite direction, from north to south, which is a rough translation of the title of her work. This three-week journey, which she'll accomplish primarily but not entirely on foot, will take her all the way to the border between Mexico and her native Guatemala. We caught up with Jackie just a few days into her journey in a town in Baja, California, where she was waiting to cross the Sea of Cortez. It was raining. My name is Jackie Amesquinda, and I've been traveling for the last three days. And right now I'm in Santa Rosalia, Baja California, Mexico. I'm actually going back to Guatemala to where everything started, the place where I was born. Well, I left Guatemala 17 years ago, so to me this is closing a cycle that has been in my family and in the family of friends. And along my path, I am collecting soil, and after I collect the soil, I plant corn, and red corn, because uh, corn was really important in the Mayan mythology. Human beings were created out of maize. And um, this is what um, um, I've been doing for the past three days, collecting soil and planting corn, offering healing to the land as I offer he healing to myself. I wanted to walk from Guatemala to LA, but I felt like I was, I was just being, I was just recreating the trauma that I went through. And I didn't want to recreate the trauma. I wanted to like embrace uh, identity. I wanted to get out of the shadows and, and, and bring light to other people that are still there. Right now, I think I prepare more emotionally than physically, but at the same time, I am, you know, trying to take care of my body along the way in a better way that I did in the performance before. You know, I'm walking, so there's, you know, this endurance, there's this uh, resilience that is happening to my body that I'm like, I'm, I, I feel the physical changes. And then I also more aware of the emotional changes too. 
and um, I'm trying to like write more and absorb. Uh, but at, but at the same time, I'm not. I'm trying not to let that affect me in a way that I'm not in tears every night for the things that I witness. Like, of course, there's like challenges. Like, hopefully, my body is gonna be able to, you know, take up the 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 walking or like the heat and all of this, like different things that come along the way, like, okay, there's no stores within like two miles and I didn't prepare with enough water. So I have to walk another two more miles, uh, keep my body hydrated, remember to take my vitamins. But I think most of the challenges are like memories, body memories. Jackie brings remarkable determination and dedication to her life's journey, first from Guatemala to the US, then earning her living as a nanny and enrolling in art center. Her story left me convinced that she would go on to influence change on a much greater scale. In our first interview, I asked her about the idea of walking, the only mode of transportation she used in her art center final project, that 178 mile journey. Here's what she had to say. Well, thank you so much, Jackie, for coming in today. It's wonderful to see you. And Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Say more about walking itself. What mm-hmm. is it about walking and walking long distances and walking long distances over an extended period of time? What kind of meaning does that have for you? I think that um, we, the, before, you know, we learn how to walk, we learn how to like crawl and then fall and then, you know, make little steps and then, you know, continue walking and continue to learn the, the, the process of walking through our life. And to me, it was like this, this walk, it was me like shedding and leaving behind this history of being under the shadows for so many years Mm -hmm. for more than a decade and and also by me stepping on the soil on the ground it was leaving a mark it was it, it was me bringing the soil from one place to another and i recollecting it and like leaving it behind like step by step by step that was part of like you know pass but my you know like the the footsteps, the five footsteps that I had, like, in the last seconds are part of my past, while the steps where I'm stepping right now is part of my present. Right. And that's beautiful and poetically resonant. And on an ostensible level to us, it also speaks of tenacity, of endurance, mm-hmm. maybe even resilience. Mm-hmm. Resistance, too. Mm. You know, it's just, you know, by walking, you, your body's still standing, you know. It's in, in mm, it's a lovely. form of like resistance, right? Like we still standing. Right. Well, let's put those together and maybe you can explore those a little bit. Endurance and mm-hmm. resistance and tenacity. How did that have meaning in what it was that you were doing? Um, I think that that's something that I found on the walk, the endurance, like that not knowing if my body was going to resist and to, to go through, uh, something that I was not used to. Um, I didn't like train for, you know, people that walk those kind of long distances, like train from six months to a year. I just trained for two weeks for an hour with my backpack. So it was like pretty much nothing. And that um, needed to like focus on like, okay, so I need to, I need to keep going. I need to go through, but what happens when your body's telling you, you, you have to stop. 
Like even if you you have the strain, the emotional strain to keep going, but not the physical one. And then you have to figure out ways that you kept, you can keep going because it happened. Like I was losing too much salt and I didn't know um, that I was cramping because my body was just needing more salt. And um, I had to like start taking salt pills. And I was like, I, I, I don't understand how my body's going to react to this. But in 20 minutes, the cramps were gone. And I was like, oh, that's right. How were you made aware of that? It happened actually in the house of my uh, my friend Isabella's, where uh, her ankle, um, he trains for like hours oh. in, in his bicycle. That was and, convenient. And yeah, it was yeah. very convenient. And so he gave me a, a bunch of like supplements to take for my body to, you know, resist. And I was just like, that's right. Like I cannot just do it on my own. You know, I need this other other elements to come into play so I can resist and be able to do this. But um, at the same time, it was like, uh, it was it was a privilege to have it because someone was providing that for sure, me. Sure. I didn't have even the knowledge of salt pills. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. I was like, oh, potassium, I need bananas. As you speak about this, it's interesting because there's this level of, you know, the walk itself and some of the poetic echoes of the walk itself. Mm-hmm. But there, always for you, it seems like there's this meta level of privilege. Mm-hmm. This time you're walking and you have a green card and this time you can get help with supplements and this mm-hmm. time you can stop at people's homes and mm-hmm. you're going through something, you're enduring it, you are echoing and physicalizing a story. But simultaneously, it's really the meta level of privilege that weaves its way throughout the whole Right, right. Like I had the right shoes. Um, I had a debit card where I could stop at any gas station and buy me Gatorade and <laughs> and coconut water or any other like liquid that I needed to get hydrated. There was a lot of thinking when I was on my own because I had to face, um, I think, memories too that I blocked as a little girl because they were like too painful and I understood how my mind was trying to block things at the moment and I had to like say no like stop I need to analyze this. Did the walk itself trigger those memories is that what you're saying? Yeah it did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Something that I was not expecting. There was a lot of unexpected things during the walk. The relationship between the physicalization and memory being triggered was the experience you had just to be clear about it. Mm Mm-hmm. So it was physical and emotional, like mental right. too. So it was like working my working out my physical endurance and also my mentally, my mental health. Well, maybe it's a good time then to take a pause before we get back to that. And if you will just tell us a little bit about your story growing up and where you're from and what this walk was recalling in your own past. Um, so I crossed the border illegally in 2003 uh, and I wasn't able to actually say this before um, I started my um, senior projects here at our center a year ago. I migrated here to reunite with my mother who actually um, crossed the border illegally too in 1987 when my brother was like about two months old because uh, he was having seizures and and, uh, my family couldn't afford uh, the hospital bill that it was like $1,500, about that. 
back in that time. And my dad used to make like about like $2 a month. Mm. <laughs> so it was mm. going to be like too much money for my family to afford that hospital bill in Guatemala. And my brother kept like having seizures and going back to the hospital. So bills were like summing up. And uh, so my mother had the opportunity to like come here and work as, as you know, as a housekeeper, as a nanny or just you know, cleaning cars in a car wash and doing whatever she needed to do just to, you know, send money to us so she could pay for the hospital bills of my brother. Um, so he was, we were, we were just there in Guatemala with my dad and my grandmother while my mom was working here. So you are how old when your mom leaves? I was like two, two years and some mm-hmm. months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you grow up in Guatemala. Your mother is, is, Stuck here in the United States? She was stuck here, but I think that her love and care and like need of seeing us like brought her back to Guatemala. So she was like coming back and forth to go like see us and take care of my brother for a little bit and then come back here and work. So each time that she would do that, she was risking her life. Mm -hmm. Her life. The last time I, we saw her, it was when um, my brother had, had like seizures when he was in third grade. So he was about like 10 years old. And on her way back to the States, um, she almost got raped twice. Hmm. And that was the last time we saw her because she was too afraid of of things happening to her that she decided that she was just going to stay for a little more and see if she could bring us in or, you know, go back to Guatemala. How long a period was there between times of seeing your mom when she stopped her visits to Guatemala? There was like between two, three years. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now you're 17 years old, is that right? And Mm -hmm. you have an opportunity to come here? Exactly. So what happens? I was just very sad that I never like had my mom with me and then I could have the opportunity to be with her and like growing up and being in high school and seeing all my friends um, having their moms and their shoulders when they were sad or things could, you know, could happen gave me like the courage to come here with some people, not friends of the family, but people that my, my family knew that could like bring me here and make safe that I was going to make it, that I was not going to be burning any um, trash can in Mexico or this be destroyed in acid or like none of those things were going to happen to me if a person that they knew was going to like help me get across. And these were stories you were aware of, right? These are stories About that young was... women getting burned and bodies being destroyed and yeah. trash can uh, oil drums. Really, oil right? drums, yeah. yeah. And for example, in, two, in 2003, exactly when I crossed, there were like 40 bodies of women being destroyed in acid and there's like drum oils in, in Ciudad Juarez. And uh, when I decided to come, um, my parents got divorced when I was four years old. My um, dad became an alcoholic. So it was like harder on my mom. That's one of the reasons that she couldn't like go back to us because there was no other support than just my mom and in my grandma. And so we were we were just left by the care of my grandmother. And when my mom and I decided that I was gonna come that way, my and I told my my grandmother like I'm leaving, like I'm gonna go and meet my mom. And the first thing she said was like, we're never gonna hear back from you because you're going to be destroying one of those drum oils of acid and we're never going to figure it out where you are. Mm -hmm. 
And I told my grandma, like, don't say that. I'm going to make it. Just, like, pray and, and don't cry. <laughs> you know? And Jackie, were you ambivalent? Were you torn at that time as to whether or not you should leave Guatemala and try to be with your mom? Or were you just quite fixed that this was what you needed to do and you were just going to be determined and follow through and do it? There was half and half. Like, there was a determination where I needed to, like, be with my mom. Like, I need my mom. And I was torn at the same time that I had to leave behind my grandmother, my brother, uh, who was, like, six. 15 at a time and then say goodbye to my friends and I, I didn't even have to like I didn't even physically had to say goodbye I didn't have the choice or the chance to do it because when you do these things you you better not say anything because you can you might get killed if they realize that you're actually crossing the border like you have to be invisible right okay tell the story then what happens when you try to come here so I try to come here and and it took us like two months to get here. What were you doing over those two months? Um, hiding, walking um, without salt pills, <laughs> <laughs> without like any other like resources mm. in my legs and a small little backpack. You yeah. weren't alone, right? No, I was not alone. We were with a, a group of other people and people that I didn't know. Uh, I almost like got raped on the night before I crossed the border. Um, I remember spending the night on the rooftop of this house where they had us because um, the coyote told me that um, he asked me if you want to stay and I, I can protect you. I can make you my wife. I will give you food if you decide to stay with me. And he was looking at me like... This was in Mexico? This was in Mexico. And and I was always wearing like losing clothes and, you know, not to try to show my body um, and, and be quiet. But also I, I had a lot of questions because I wanted to know where I was, where we were going in case like I needed to, you know, reach out for help. I knew where I where where my location was. I asked, um, I was, I was quiet, but I was asking a lot of questions. And then I asked like, where's our last stop? And they were like, we're going to the terminal, the bus terminal. I was like, what are we doing there? We're just going to walk to get to the house that we're going to stay. For how long are we going to stay there? For a couple of days. And then, okay, after there, we're going to cross. And they were like, yeah, yeah, stop asking questions. We cannot talk here. Okay. When you finally made it to the U.S. border in Mexico for the first time, mm -hmm. what happened? My body was physically tired. I couldn't take it anymore. I was done. I, I feel like I needed to take a break, but I had no choice. I had to continue. So it was it was a big group of people. I can't remember how many we were, but I will guess like between like maybe 15, 20, 25. There was this mom with um, her nephew who was like three years old and she had a, like a brand new baby. Um, it was two weeks. So I, maybe I felt identified some sort of like seeing this mom with a little brand new baby. Uh, but at the moment, I didn't realize it. And uh, we were hiding in the desert. And then we started like walking again. And all of a sudden, we heard like, run, you know, they're coming. So we just like started like running. And I had like one of those like one liter bottle of waters with me uh, that I had to like, that was my, my, my whole source of life. For the two weeks that we were going to walk in the desert. And I had to like leave it behind so I could like run faster and not get caught. But I realized that when everybody run, this mom with a baby run away. But she left the little boy 
behind. Mm. And I couldn't think. I just react pretty much in the moment. And I stopped. And I knew I was going to get caught. But I couldn't leave that little boy there. Because I was feeling that immigration was just not going to care about him and just leave him there. And he was going to be eaten by a coyote or an animal. I, I couldn't. So I turned around. I went to grab him. And of course, I got caught because of that. They thought I was like smuggling the kid because I didn't I didn't even think that I needed to have like a birth certificate of me to prove he was mine, but I was not claiming him. So they took him away. They treat me really bad. What does and, that mean that they treated you really bad? What happened? Because they just like grabbed, they grabbed me and they threw me on the ground. And I don't remember if it was my right or my left, but I was like, oh, Bruce. And the next day I couldn't like, um, I felt like I couldn't continue, but... When, when they got me, they took me to this detention center in Arizona, where that was the, the checkpoint I crossed. And they were asking me if I was where I was from. And I was like, I'm from Mexico. And she'll prove us that you're Mexican and uh, give us your credential. And I was like, I don't have one. And I lost it. And how can you prove that you are from Mexico? And, you know, through all the, the whole trip, like I pretty much learned the national anthem of Mexico. And I was like, oh, well, you know, in school, like in first grade, we learn how to like sing the national anthem and I can sing that to you. And then I was just singing the national anthem. I don't know if they knew it or not, <laughs> but that saved me that day. They released me in Mexico and I was so grateful that I didn't have to continue you know, the journey back from Guatemala, that I was still close to my mom and I still have, you know, that sure. little hope that I could still make it. And then what happens? And then I had to figure it out how to get... Are you alone to, at this point? I was alone because... The no people, more group. No more group. I knew that I needed to get to the bus terminal of Agua Prieta. And then if I can like lo relocate myself where I was walking, I could get to the house where we were staying. Right. You know, it's so interesting. It's as if you had an instinct for anticipating problems that would come up and gathering some kind of information or coming up with a plan like you did with the Mexican National Anthem that would get you out of those difficult situations. It feels intuitive to me. Yeah, it was intuitive, but um, I feel that it was also memories of my mom doing these things. Like, I remember my mom hiding, you know, like a pocket on her bra, you know, her cash or like in like this, like side of, you know, where your belt goes, like making a cut there and hiding the money there. So it was, it was like intuition, but also uh, as a consequence of going through this with my mom. Sure. That I didn't like realize any something that I realized right now when I was walking. Right. And you honed those skills. And so it's two weeks after you've been turned away and you found your way back to this house. Mm -hmm. And then how did you cross over? So I found my way to this house and that's when the coyote asked me if I wanted to stay with him. Like he, will, he, he said that he will make me his wife and I was just so scared because that's something that is common. And I remember that I didn't answer anything. I was just like probably like shocked and nice. Because he laughed. I remember he was laughing when he saw my my reaction. I don't even know what kind of reaction I had. And that that's the night where I just like went up on top of the roof of this house where we're staying. And I was just looking at the sky because this town had no lights. It was like an, sort of a ghost town. And I could see the lights of like Phoenix on the other side. And like 
wow, I was like so close and my body couldn't take it anymore. I was so tired, like mentally and emotionally, I couldn't take it anymore. And I felt that I was stronger the day that I tried to cross when I got caught than today they were telling me, this is the day you have to go. Like the next day they were pushing me to go. And I was like, no, I need to wait at least one day. Give me a break, please. And they were like, no, you have to. And that's the day where I made it. Tell us about that moment of crossing. It was early, early in the morning. It was really cold. For some reason, I was always looking at my footsteps. Maybe I didn't want to like face my reality and the environment sometimes. That I was just like looking down. Plus it was dark, so I couldn't really see around more than, you know, what I had in front of me. I knew that if I was going to get caught by immigration, they were going to keep me in the detention center for two months because that's what they said when they released me. If we see you again, we're going to keep you here for two months. And I'm giving you my word. And that's why I was scared. Can you describe a moment when you realized actually that you had made it, that you had crossed over successfully? It was it was just um, houses. They said, okay, we're going to just hide in here. Nobody talk. And there's a car that is going to come and honk. And that's the key. When he hunks, you follow me. And and um, they hit me in the car, like in the feet, like in the feet of a person. It was like a pickup truck. So, but On I, the floor of the, the car? On the floor of the car, yeah. And because I was the tiniest, it, it was like one, two, three, four of us in like a, in like just a regular pickup truck, not double um, seats or anything in the back, just a pickup truck, like two people hiding in there. One people sitting and me in the uh, on the bottom feet and like I di I didn't see anything. I just heard the hunk. I run. I did what they said, and they drove for like three hours. And when I just got there, I just remember seeing like concrete, like concrete in a parking lot. And they were like, "Hurry, hurry, hurry! Like get in the house." And yeah, that's all I remember. I don't remember directly. I I didn't even realize if it was here or not like i see like what's the difference between mexico and the u.s like sure, it sure. looked similar sure sure yeah you make it over and you call your mom no i didn't call my mom they did because they needed to ask for money and my mom was okay but i need to make sure because this was different kind of people there's not one person that gets gets you across there's like multiple people that are connecting the dots that get you across yeah, they called my mom and they were, you know, they were just waiting to get the rest of the money so they could let me go. Otherwise, I will have to, you know, stay there and keep doing housework and until my mom will, you know, give the money. And then you make your way to L.A.? And then, yeah, yeah. But it was it was complicated. How, how long did it take before you were able to get to Los Angeles to meet up with your mother? Um, I had to stay there for a couple of days because the people that were coming with me, they, their family didn't have the money. So they were not letting us go. And this guy where we were staying, I was the only one that he was taking out to buy groceries and to buy me like shampoo and stuff. And and I told my mom, you know, this is what's happening. Oh, they're treating me well. You know, they're taking me out to get groceries and then buy me clothes and get me shampoo. And my mom sold a flag. I didn't. And my mom was like, no, we need to get we need to get you out of there. And so she had to pay for the money of these other two people. What so was they, really going on? I, I think that they wanted like they wanted me to stay there and like pr pretty much because there's a lot of there's a lot of human trafficking. You know, it's not just nice people getting you across for a nice reason or because they wanted to, you know, right. there's money reasons behind it. 
about three or four years ago, I got my permanent residency and I realized the privilege that I had of traveling and that gave me the opportunity to go back to Guatemala. And when I visit Guatemala, I felt like I was a tourist. I felt like I lost a lot of my culture, my roots, my traditions. And now I have different resources. Now I have, I've learned different tools and I'm trying to incorporate that into my life and my practice as an artist. But also there's, there's this thing that is like pushing me to not being afraid too because of, you know, the news and the media and all the things that are being said about Mexico and the political climate right now in the U.S. and things that are happening in between Central and North America, people are really afraid and, and people don't trust. They fear the other side of the fence and people who are on this side are afraid of the other side. If you could just quickly take us from the reconciliation with your mom in Los Angeles uh-huh. and then take us to, you know, getting to Art Center, which is probably an interesting part of the story as well. Yeah, it is. Um, I got with my mom and, you know, we were good for like a couple of months. I was not aware of all the things that I needed in order to be a normal person in California. So I started like losing my integrity without realizing that, that... That, that things that I didn't have the privilege of having a driver license and a social security, so I couldn't work. And, and then I didn't speak the language and I didn't understand things of the culture. So it was like really tough. So I started like learning the language, going to ESL at nights after working at my mom's daycare because that was my first job. But I couldn't just stay there. I couldn't just be there I needed to like do more and and I was you know one of the families that I work for they were like Jackie check these classes for college you just have to start with English and math and I was like I don't think I can do this it's too expensive and um I went there and of course you know I needed a social in order to start college and the only way to join my community college was to be an international student and to be an international student, tuition was like, you know, $600 per unit. And I was like, no, I can't do this. And I remember crying and I said, no, I have to look at the positive side and I'm just going to enroll and pay little by little and take the classes. And it took me seven years, but I finished. <laughs> and and wow. I finished, yeah, I finished um, my associate degree in visual communications. And then I was like, okay, so I think I'm ready to transfer to schools. And I was still undocumented. And then I started like looking at schools and thinking in possibilities of how I was going to pay for it, like working as a nanny and cleaning houses and having two, three jobs. I did it so I can do it, even though it's going to take me longer. And I started like researching about art schools and I bump into our center <laughs> and I visit our center and I realize um, that this was my home. And then I fell in love with the school and I was just like determined on this is what I want. This is where I want to go. I look into like the faculty of the school and it was like working artists and professionals. And I was like, I need to come to this school. Lucky us. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Yeah. And then back then, uh, Nicola was part of admissions. Yes. And now, um, and I remember going to her and like being scared 
in because I was undocumented and like the school like rejecting me and saying uh sorry we cannot take you because you know you have to pay like blah blah blah, blah. and instead of that the school was offering me a scholarship to join the school and I was like okay how am I gonna cover the rest of my expenses but it was a big step to me and I was like no if I was able to do this like I don't know how long it's gonna take me to do that but I think I can do it I just have to work really hard and be positive and I'm gonna figure it out down the line if I keep working hard and I'm focused to my goals and um well given how yeah. challenging <laughs> art center is <laughs> I think your story uh, presents a clear <laughs> yeah. capacity to face it let's just quickly go through another uh subplot of your story here too when did you know you were an artist uh I think um that during the walk I also realized that there's no difference between like Jackie as a person or me as an artist. Like I'm the same thing. I cannot be Jackie or the artist separate. Like I work as the same person, but I never had the chance to have that recognized on me and also to encourage to be encouraged with my ideas and had the support that I needed because I didn't have those resources. Of course. But did you do it anyway? Did, I did. you sketch? Did you write? Did you play with materials yeah. and put it all together? Yeah. And materials. so it was all there. If you go materials. through that and trace that part of your life, yeah. it's all there. You're doing the work. You're I was I was melting clay on top of mm. my grandmother's um, <laughs> corn pot mm -hmm. where she was like, you know, boiling the corn for the tortillas, mm -hmm. putting pieces of papers with clay on top and letting it melt and getting in trouble. Mm -hmm. And were you yeah. even again, were you conscious of yourself as somebody who needed to create that way to be involved in exploring and making and yeah, engaging I'm, in the world in that yeah, kind of creative way? I feel that. And that's that's sort of my language of communicating too. You know, I can speak in English and Spanish, but I also can communicate with my hands, not but with words, but by showing a message with my sculptures and my installations and, and how I involve the materials and the use of them and like the incorporation of this concept with the materials in it. So, yeah. And, and I also think that that's also changing because I, I like found myself like being more performative to like this performative aspect that is part of my life, you know, that, that I was not aware of until the walk. <laughs> right. Let's go to the end of the walk when you come to uh, Chinatown in Los Angeles. And if you could just briefly tell us about that, and then I'd like to explore one other level of the work. Right. Um, when I got to Chinatown, I was really grateful. I was grateful to be present, to be there in the moment, to see the people who have been supporting me for so many years, uh, to see all the support from my classmates, from our center, from faculty, from my family, from my friends. I was just grateful that I was able to do it and I was able to see them and hug them again and grateful to to be alive, you know, to be able to walk, to uh, to understand the word, the word um, self-care mm -hmm. and being able to hug my mom. And when you got back, there was um, an oil drum there. There was an oil drum. 
What did you do with that? The oil drum, I abducted it uh, a couple of weeks, a couple of months before the performance from uh, Mexicali. And these oil drums are used to um, dissolve body, bodies in acid in Mexicali because they're easy to find on the street and easy to dispose. So those words that my grandmother said to me when I left Guatemala were present. Uh, you're gonna get, you're gonna be dissolved in acid, and I'm never gonna get to find you and see you again. And um, I was trying to find the, you know, the the light in those cracks in my life, the positive uh, within all this negative and and trauma in my life. And to me, abducting this trash can from Mexico, and I call it abducting because I pretty much dumped a trash in another trash can, took it in a van, crossed the border, and I didn't have any uh, problems with immigration. Um, it's another form of like resistance of, I got to the gallery where this oil, uh, oil drum was surrounded by uh, clothes from people that knew me and that have been with me through this path in my life. And they were catching out the water that it was spilling out when I got into the drum. The clothing was. The clothing that was. absorbing the water. was absorbing the water. Right. That it came out when I got inside the drum. So so you came, you concluded the walk, you went right up to this oil drum. Right. I went right into this oil drum. I And it was filled with water. It was filled in with water and surrounded by the clothes. And um, I was, when I walked, um, before I walk in, I was standing next to the oil drum and I started like uh, having eye contact with the people that were waiting for me and, and, you know, just eye contact and Mm. different ways of like saying thank you and being grateful of seeing everybody there. Then I took off my overalls that were with me through this eight days. Um, And then underneath I had a crochet suit that I crochet with um, this cotton fiber from Guatemala that was actually sent to me specifically for this project. And part of the crochet suit contained part of my period blood that I had for two months. And it was to me, um, this crochet suit was with me for this eight days, collecting all my sweat, serving as a bridge between my skin and the environment. It was not a wall. It was a breach, uh, sort of like a how I see my skin. I, I see my skin as like a bridge that connects my interior with the exterior. So this suit was like another bridge that it was collecting my inside with the exterior. And I was just letting it go by walking, getting myself into this oil drum flowing with water. So I saw that as like my rebirth, as, as like a cleanse of letting it go. When I started the walk of Footprints That Sprout, it was a walk in silence, but I had to break the silence because someone called me a wetback. And the difference now is like in this performance, I'm talking to people. So in this performance, I'm interacting more with the environment. This time I'm not silence. I'm describing what I'm doing. I'm interacting with other people. I'm asking questions. I'm questioning myself. I'm questioning my intentions. And I'm questioning the things that I see around. And it's really amazing to see how people are reacting when I share with them the work that I'm doing. 
they're like they they you know they're listening and I explain them my previous work and then I share with them my intentions and I think a lot a lot of migrants are really skeptical because they have been treated in a very inhumane way but that's that's not everybody that's not us I'm going to say that that's not us um we want families together we want children to grow and not be in the shadows like I was. It's not easy, it's hard, it takes time, it takes passion. Like there's a lot of people from the United States that are supporting them. There's a lot of people who wanna say you are welcome here. Um, there's a lot of families that are sympathizing and connecting with them. It's, it's hope. You wrote a poem as part of the project. Right. And I wonder if I could ask you to read it, first in Spanish and then in English. Right, right, right. Mi pulso narra la adrenalina de un incendio que con agua no se apaga. Saludo al presente, en donde mis huellas del pasado germinan, mientras mis pies se liberan de sus zapatos. Y es así como mis huellas narran el guión que me negaba escribir. Es aquí donde mis piernas se vuelven más fuertes al golpear el suelo. Es aquí donde mis brazos aprenden a balancear todo el peso de mi cuerpo. Es aquí donde aprendo que el esfuerzo físico lo oxigenan mis ancestros, mis abuelos y hoy más que nunca, mi madre. And then in English, like I mentioned, is called uh, Footprints that Sprout and in Spanish, huellas que germinan. My heartbeat is the rhythm of the adrenaline that can be stopped with water. I salute the present where my footprints of the past are now sprouting while my feet get finally freedom from their shoes, from their own shoes. And it's like this, how my footprints share the story that I always wanted to ignore. It's here where my legs become stronger as they hit the soil. It's here where my arms learn to balance the weight of my body. And it's here where I learned that my ancestors, my grandparents, oxygenate my strain, and today more than ever, my mother. Thank you. It's beautiful. Thanks. A couple of things I just want to explore um, that the poem triggers in me, and I'll just make associations if they're meaningful for you. Mm -hmm. The first one has to do with feet and legs and shoes and footprints mm -hmm. and the relationship that they have to time to past, present, and future. Mm -hmm. I was writing during during the walk and thinking about how, as I mentioned previously, how my feet were collecting the soil and transferring to a different space and how I was, my body was weaving itself into the opposite way of the traffic where, uh, where people were coming down and I was coming up in the time of being away from my daily life to perform something that was physically changing me and emotionally but not only that it was also inter like this interaction that I was having with the, the environment socially with other people and also physically with a uh, 
crossing these different like cities, these different neighborhoods and experiencing like um, the different ways that people were like feeling me when I was walking in, in these different communities because I had like different reactions. Mm-hmm. Pretty much my path from Tijuana to Los Angeles, it was more like how I navigated to as a person of color under the shadows in a country that has a different culture, a different language and different resources that I didn't have before. So that's why I was seeing all of these things as a privilege. And these are things that we have that I have now in my everyday life as a resource that not just me, I think a lot of people take for granted. And another way I thought to explore with you too is how how our bodies tell stories. Yeah, and I think that humans and, you know, how art in particular tells a story in different ways. You can say it through painting, you can use you can use like sculpture, prints, and and you you will see the physicality physicality and the mark of the artist in in their individual uh projects. But in this particular project where I use my body, it was not just my entire physically body. It was also my, my, you know, my mind connecting with my heart and being able to also understand myself, understand and be, be nice to me too. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah, it's time for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. And too, what you were saying before too, with the connection of the physicality and the memories and again that links to the essence of time that I was trying to explore but also the you, you carry that story and some of it you're conscious of and some of it you're not you're, yeah. but the physicalization of it brought it to the surface for you. right right yeah. and, and and that happened because people were asking me like how are your feet how are you doing and I'm like I'm physically fine but I can't deal with the emotional emotions anymore like it's too much mm-hmm. um it was it happened during the walk that you know I was dealing with a lot of emotions and a lot of conscious emotions and unconscious and then when I got back I had to deal with the emotions of the walk plus the emotions of being back and realize what I have done and also the power that your body has when it moves right yeah and then the last question really that I wanted to explore about the poem too which goes very deep for me is the relationship between these elements or these materials soil and water and sprouts and metal and crocheted material and the relationship that has to really a sense of your strength as a human being as well as your freedom as a human being right right um yeah and those are like essential elements for like our survival as humans you know like we need we need the soil you you know we need the same amount of pressure from earth and gravity in order to be standing and you know we need water in in order to survive because our bodies are like well by now my body is like 50 percent water uh, by my age <laughs> you know we're like decreasing those things over time and this fiber is uh you know uh, uh serving as a as a bridge is like textile is some form of uh, to me not decolonization but you know it's part of like something that has been imposed to us you know 
know, or Western clothes. It was my way of making my my own suit, my own shedding, my own traje. That's what I call it, a traje, like my own outfit mm. that I could let it go. These are like fundamental things that we have in in our planet as resources, but we also need them in order to survive. And what we also need to survive is love. Exactly. And I think and that's, sorry, a very fundamental element. And in my talk at graduation, when I told your story, I called it a love story. Do you think it's a love story? Yeah, it's a love story. How do you think about it as a love story? Um, my mom had to leave because she loved us so much. Um, she didn't leave us behind. Uh, she didn't abandon us. It was about love. She had to go back and forth because she loved us. Um my grandma took care of us because she loved us. And a lot of people were there for me because they probably loved me and they found something in me that, you know, it might be different or I don't know. But it's totally love. I found profound love too from strangers during the walk. And the reason I have to ask about that, I mean, obviously it's, it's the element of the story that, you know, goes so, it goes fathoms deep in an already incredibly complex and beautiful and tragic and stirring story. But also we politicize these things in our world. Mm -hmm. And suddenly you pause for a moment and you realize it is, it's about love first. Right. right. And it's about a human element that is so hard to see when the screen becomes all about politics. Yeah, I think we kind of forgotten that uh, we're like one human race. And I found that very interesting by like the performance of how by the use of my body, people were able to connect and, and see this story maybe closer, a little bit closer when this brush becomes my body and, and my prints become the paint, you know, and the canvas is just earth. Mm. Lovely. Just so our listeners know, you and your mom are okay now. Immigration issues are taken care of. Right. You yes. have graduated from Art Center now yes. and you're beginning your life and your practice and all is moving forward for Every, you. Everything's moving. Yeah. Good. Everything's moving forward. Jackie, I can't thank you enough for your time, for your candor, for your open-heartedness. Your story goes very, very deep for so many of us and the fact that you are so courageous in telling it and open in letting us know what the story is just brings us into a sense of your humanity that's very profound. Thanks. Thank you. And <laughs> thank you for here. being part of this community, of being part of Art Center. We're incredibly proud of you and you're an inspiration to all of us. And I think a deep, deep inspiration to many students who are here now and yet to come. Thank you. Thank you so much for everything. <laughs> I hope you enjoy this episode of Change Lab. The best way to support the show is to share it with your community. And please feel free to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, or the Apple Podcasts app. For a deeper dive into the astonishing creativity and innovation coming out of Art Center, please visit our website at artcenter.edu. Thanks for listening. 
Change Lab is produced out of Art Center College of Design. I'd like to extend a special thanks to our small but mighty production staff. Producer Christine Spines, co-producer Luis Silva, editor Emily Van Bergen, and post-production supervisor and production consultant Christopher Olin. <laughs>